Hello there, everyone. Welcome to Digital Nomad Mastery, the podcast and the video cast where we teach you how to make money while traveling the world. And speaking of traveling the world, we're currently in central Philippines exploring this part of the world. And unfortunately, the Wi-Fi is not super, super strong in this area. It's better than the last few days, but still not as good as I wanted. We're today in Erdineta. So uh, apologies if there's any Wi-Fi hiccups. But if you want to follow our journey, definitely check it out at daddyblogger.com. A lot of pictures, videos, blog posts. And of course, we're doing a podcast series still. And one of the things I love doing on my podcast is fellow parents, fellow authors. And I have one on the show here today. Her name is Marianne Johnson. And Marianne is a coach. She's also a homeschooling expert. And she is an author of the book, Becoming a Present Parent, Connecting with Your Children in Five Minutes or Less. And of course, that's very appropriate for us busy parents in this day and age of uh, technology and uh, busy lifestyle. So super excited to get Mary Ann's insights into homeschooling and connecting better with your kids. So Mary Ann, how are you doing over there in beautiful, uh, just outside of Salt Lake City, Utah today? Well, it's wonderful here. I think it might rain and boy, do we need it and we'll be very happy. <laughs> yes, I definitely hope you guys get the rain. So it uh, helps those uh, plants and trees and uh, flowers to blossom and bloom. So, uh, Marianne, yes. why don't we get to know you a little bit better? Why don't you share a little bit more about your backstory and your journey and a little bit more about your story? Okay, so I uh, raised Montana, um, up in the nowhere lands, and uh, we have seven children, ages, well, now they range from 46 down to 29. And um, I really enjoyed being a mom, but there were just so many things to know and understand that were really challenging for me. Um, we moved to Utah about 15 years ago because we had three daughters here. And I was very involved in homeschooling, and so I kind of got uh, introduced to that group of parents. I had homeschooled children up in Montana on and off um, and so it was really fun being with the people and I developed a learning tool called the spark station which is a wonderful tool to help parents connect with their children educationally and as I began teaching that and uh, I've been doing that since 2009 I started realizing that the big issue for homeschooling parents wasn't as much curriculum, which is what I usually thought, as how do you work with your children so that they want to learn, so that you know their sparks, where is their interest, and how do you connect with them when you have so many other things on your plate besides uh, homeschooling, raising them, uh, many working. It, it just was a morass for people to try to manage. And so I realized that although I know my real expertise was in how do you help parents connect with their children multiple times every day. It's wonderful if you can take your children on a date every week or even every month, but I'll tell you I've never yet met a parent who's done that consistently long term. It's also wonderful if you can give every child 30 minutes of one-on-one -on -one time. And I'll tell you, I've never met a parent yet that's done that consistently. So the question becomes, how do we connect with our 
right where we live without all of this extra special time and planning. And so uh, I had written five articles um, on that topic. And in 2016, I realized I needed to write a book. And so I got myself an accountability coach so I would actually do it. And it took six months to do my research. Uh, I did some private surveys and some private research with parents, worked with many, many, many parents, got a lot of feedback, um, took a lot of the mentoring that I had done over the previous uh, 10 plus years, and began compiling uh, those 500 articles plus. And it took six months to write the book, uh, finished it in December of 2016. Uh, then it took another full year to get it published. And in May of 2017, it was published. And so basically, that's how I went from being a mom of seven children to a speaker, teacher, author, and coach. <laughs> that was not in my plan. <laughs> Definitely. What a journey. What a journey. And thank you for tracing it back. And thank you for outlining some of the significant moments to get to where you are now. Uh, one of the things we love to cover on the show is this whole area of world schooling, homeschooling, a lot of traveling families. Obviously, they have to consider the education of the kids. And most of them have to make that choice between maybe doing world schooling, homeschooling with the curriculum, or maybe even putting the kids in private schools or public schools as they travel and, uh, you know, set up bases in different cities, countries, and continents. So I'd love your insights into the whole area of homeschooling in terms of um, what would you advise your parents in terms of curriculums to use and some of the pros and even some of the cons of homeschooling? So one thing I noticed early, so when I began homeschooling in Montana, there were zero uh, resources. I knew two other homeschooling families. They homeschooled long before I did. I frankly thought they were like super weird. <laughs> uh, I, I started having a couple of kids struggling and, and I just pulled them out of school and brought them home. And frankly, for us, homeschooling looked like being home. Uh, we did a paper together. We took clown classes. We studied history, which I love. Um, we didn't have much formal curriculum. Uh, when I first started with my youngest daughter, I tried to set up a public school at home, which was very unsuccessful. And I know a lot of people when they first start homeschooling uh, go that route. Frankly, there are just about as many ways to homeschool as there are parents who are homeschooling. But here's what I noticed is early on, homeschooling families began thinking that there was some uh, I can't think of the word I, I would like to use, but it was better to homeschool than to public school, and that they somehow were better parents. But what happened is I've rarely, I, I only know a few families who have homeschooled 100% of the time. Most of them at some point realized that homeschooling isn't the best thing for this year or the next two years, and they end up using commonwealth schools or private schools or even putting their children back in school and there's a sense of failure in that and so I've observed that now for 10 plus years plus my own experience and what I've come to is that parents our big job 
is to seriously look at our families and say, what is going to be the best options for my children this year? And the options are not the same for every child. You might have two children homeschooling and one back in public school. I know a really wonderful homeschool guru here, right here in Utah, who is now this year putting her children in homeschool. And her big fear was that other homeschoolers would look down on her. But she's making a wise decision for her family. So if you're traveling, then you're going to be homeschooling in some way. And there's just so many ways to homeschool. When you're back on your own terra firma, so to speak, in your own community, then you have to look at what are the needs of my children. Um, I know uh, my youngest son that I homeschooled, when he was in ninth grade, he came to me and he said, Mom, I want to go back to public school. And so I really looked at our family situation. I looked at where he was educationally and um, mentally, and I said to him, not this year. But then in 10th grade, when he came to me again, I really pondered and looked and said, yeah, you're ready to go back and it will be a good for you. And it was good for him. So that's my take on this whole educational scene is parents need to figure out what is the best thing now for each individual child. What is right and not worry about what their neighbors or what their community uh, is doing and and just be brave in that way yeah you bring up some great points there Marianne definitely it's very personalized individualized to the family to the parent to each individual uh, child to the you know the circumstances to uh, what do what does the child want so there's so many variables and you know you you, you said it really well uh, we tend to be a worse judge and you know comparing ourselves to other parents and thinking we're failures. So definitely it's important uh, to treat yourself well as a yeah. parent. So you definitely agree with the, all of your insights there. So uh, in your book, uh, one, of your, uh, one of your big passions, not only in your book, but in your coaching and uh, just in your business in general is uh, the whole area of connection. Um, parents connecting with children. And of course, this is something that's universal. Uh, every parent wants to connect better with their child. So what would you say are some strategies there? So when I looked at that whole situation, and I, and I worked with hundreds of families, not just parents, but their kids too. I interviewed a lot of kids. I interviewed a lot of parents. I did a lot of mentoring. And what I realized is that we have this idea that in order to create relationships, and we can even include that in friendships or husband and wife relationships, that it requires something extraordinary out of the normal and because we think that we're not very successful in consistently connecting when we're talking about kids consistency and frequency trumps special it just does um, and so how do you do that and so I looked at my own family and I'll tell you I I sent uh, I did a little research I did a survey with lots and lots of adults and I asked them what are your most favorite memories and when did you feel most connected to your family or to your parents and the shocking thing was that there wasn't a single trip to Disneyland there wasn't a single uh, sport in the list 
it was all about eating together and growing the garden, washing the car with my dad and fixing the spark plugs and helping my mom sew and uh, canning with my grandmother. So have I lost you, Ricky? No, you can keep going. Keep going, Maria. Oh, okay, good. <laughs> Sorry. Um, and so I, I realized that all of these touch points in most families are points of contention. They're the times when we are with our kids where we feel contentious. Mealtime, bedtime, chore time, traveling in the car are four examples. But if we look at these everyday events, and if we just tweak how we think moms and dads, we think about meals as we got to get the food on, we got to feed our kids, and get it off so we can get on to the important things of the day. But mealtime's not about food, it's about relationships. It's an opportunity to look at our children in the eye, to ask them how it's their day going, how are they feeling about life. It's an opportunity for us to have what I call mini conversations, just short little conversations about What's happening in the neighborhood? What's happening in the school? What did we just see on TV? That crazy sign we saw down the street. Just all kinds of random things. What happened when we were eight? And so these do not have to be long, and they're certainly not planned ahead. Sometimes it's successful, and sometimes it's not. A good family meal with conversation usually lasts about 10 minutes, and it's enough. because. Even if you only had a family meal three times a week, 52 weeks a year, for 18 years of a child's life, how many 10-minute connection moments would you have had? And so in the book, for example, when we're talking about meal times, um, I describe actual meals. What does it look like when we sit down with two, three, four kids or more? When milk gets spilled and one brother pinches another and how do we what are the strategies we can use to make mealtime uh, a great connection moment and so my tip for parents are look at what you do every day already the things that make you feel frustrated and upset with your children and say how can I adjust how I think so that I can view this as a moment to connect I love chores. There's, there are so many strategies to make chores a wonderful connection time with our kids, but in most families, really, they're points of contention. One thing when I published, uh, one thing I wanted to do was make sure whether people purchased the book to read or not, I wanted them to understand this, that connections happen every day in the ordinary things we do. And so on my uh, website, becomingapresentparent.com, you can go there and download, download that chapter free. And if you didn't read anything else I wrote, if you never heard me speak again, I promise you that that one chapter will be life-changing. Even if you are only able to adjust your thinking in one of the eight touch points. So my big tip for parents is that, that connections happen every day, not in the special. And and the everyday are what children remember, not the special. 
Yes, you're, too, you're so right. Uh, when I think back to my childhood, it's definitely those moments, uh, you know, like around the dinner table or hanging out with my parents and uh, uh, watching, watching the Canucks play. We're big Vancouver uh, Canucks fans. So definitely it's these, uh, these uh, everyday moments that are very important. Uh, so, Marianne, you've written both a book um, and also a workbook. Tell us about how you uh, uh, created both of these resources and how can your readers use both the written book and also the workbook. So here's what I understand about people. <laughs> because I'm a people and I know how I work. And I'll read a book or I'll go to an event or a class and you, your head gets filled with all these things that you need to fix in your family. And you have a desire to go home and you do. You rush home and you try to implement a half a dozen things and, you, and you're just so excited about it and you burn yourself out and you burn your family out and you get a lot of pushback from your family and within two weeks most of us are back doing what we were doing before despite our good intentions so how do we overcome that well uh, a business principle it's called the one percent principle and I talk about that in my book um, and it means that we have to look at possible things we could work on and pick the one thing that will be the most useful in that moment. It may not even be the most important thing if we try to think, well, of this whole list, what seems the most important? But it's the thing we can actually do, the thing we're willing to commit to. And then you do that one thing until you've got it down pretty well. And then you move to the next thing. So the workbook actually helps you as you read each chapter. There for 13 chapters, it helps you distill out of chapter one, what are the issues in chapter one for your family? And out of all of this, if you were going to work on it, what would be the one thing that you think would be the most powerful? And I and there's a process to help you distill down that information and come up with the one thing. Then in the back of the workbook, there's a master list. And in chapter one, you write down that one thing. So when you get through 13 chapters, now you have 13 things on your master list. Well, actually 12. And then helps you pick one thing off of that list of 12 that you are focused on for the next two weeks, two months, or a year even. And then when you feel that you've made some progress in that one thing, not because you're not going to get perfection ever, but when you're doing better at that one thing, whether it's having a meal together a couple of times a week or whether it's taking care of yourself in more reasonable ways, um, then you go to the, you pick another thing off the list. Now, when I was parenting, we had some significant challenges in our family. And there was one point where I thought, man, if I don't fix this, we're going to hell in a handbasket. And that's an old term that I love. And it's that sense of urgency, like, I got to fix it now. But I just want to promise you that it's better to fix one thing than to try to fix everything and fail and not accomplish anything. So the workbook is designed to help you do that, to work on one thing and then work on a second thing and then work on a third thing. Because what I'll promise you is, the efforts that you make, if they are simple and consistent over a long period of time, will bring you more 
significant results than anything else you could do. There are no silver bullets for families. Simple things done consistently over time bring the results that make the greatest difference. So that's it in a nutshell. Beautifully put, Miriam. Uh, one of the things I'm curious about is the connection between boys and girls. I, I happen to have three kids. Uh, my daughter is six and then I have two young ones. My son is four and my other son is two. And definitely I find they interact and connect differently as uh, male and female, as boy and girl, as son and daughter. Uh, so tell us a little bit about how um, parents can connect with uh, different genders in terms of boys and girls. So I didn't really address that in my book, but I'll tell you I had three sons and four daughters, and there is no question that girls and boys are different. However, we need to be cautious when we say that because um, my energy as I move through the world would be considered very manly. I am very project-oriented. I am not especially people-oriented. I have had to work to nurture. Uh, it wasn't a strong suit for me. My husband, on the other hand, uh, moves through the world with an energy that we would term feminine. Um, he's extremely nurturing. He's not a thief man. His focus is never upward movement or uh, projects. It's more how are people feeling? How are they doing? So in the early part of our marriage, I felt irritated or frustrated with my husband because he didn't, he had no desire to, to climb the corporate ladder. What he did have a desire to do was his very best with the people he worked with to uh, create relationships, to understand people were at, and to serve. And he was fabulous. He was um, in a service industry, uh, in sales, and he was fabulous at it. And he didn't even particularly like sales, but what he was good at was people. Um, and I also, most of my life, felt very, uh, like there was something wrong with me because I wasn't like my husband. I was... I was a climber, I was a doer, I was a grower, I was a project person, Let's and I did big things all my life. And I was not very successful at home um, because nurturing just wasn't my, it didn't come naturally to me. So that's my caution, caution for parents when we talk about boys and girls. What I think is more important than saying, you know, how do I work with my boys versus my girls is to say, how do I work with John? How do I work with Mary? What does Jen need? Because every child has their own energy, their own way of being. You'll have some sons who want to talk to you. Now, most of your sons aren't going to be big talkers. <laughs> They're going to make more noise. But occasionally you'll have a son who wants to talk. And sometimes you'll have a daughter who's wants she doesn't end a conversation man let's do something and so the tools that i ascribe to when it comes to relationships work for every child boys or girls they just need to be modified for individual children so for example the bedtime routine bedtime isn't about sleep it's about relationships 
And I suggest that we give each child three minutes at bedtime. I tell parents, take a timer. If your child wants more and they're grasping for air because they're not getting enough of you, you take a timer and you set it for three minutes and you give them their three minutes. And pretty soon they'll trust you and you know that they'll know their three minutes. I also talked about parents um, dividing and conquering that you don't have to give three minutes to every child. You take some and your husband takes some and then you switch and you don't even have to do it every night of the week. Maybe it's nights a week. There are lots of ways to make this whole bedtime routine work. But for example, I had one mother who had a daughter who was struggling and she was not open to conversation. In fact, she was cutting herself. She was about 13 years old. Um, it was a family in a little bit of crisis. And she heard about this bedtime routine and she decided to, to do it. And for the first few many weeks, she would go into her child's room. It would be dark. She would sit on the edge of the bed. She would put her hand close to her daughter because her daughter didn't want to be touched. And she would sit there in silence next to her daughter for three minutes. And when the three minutes was over, she would say, I love you. I'll see you in the morning and she would leave. Eventually her daughter started opening up and talking to her. Now this family has a long way to go. Their daughter has a lot of issues, but it was this mother honored where her daughter was. She didn't want to be touched and she didn't want to talk, but it didn't mean she didn't want to connect. My son, <laughs> When he was about seven or eight years old, I would put him to bed and he would want to talk for an hour. He would have a bazillion questions for me. And I had seven kids and I didn't have an hour and I wasn't a nurturer. And I didn't understand these things even very well myself back then. And so I gave him a notebook and I said to him, I want you to write all your questions down in this notebook. And then when I put you to bed, I'll answer your questions. And of course, I would give him more than three minutes. Um, I'd give him five or ten. And he would ask me question after question, and I'd answer it. We'd sing and talk and dance, and he'd get his time. And then I'd say, okay, I got to go now. And he'd say, I have more questions. I'd that's okay. You hold on to those till tomorrow. And if you have any more questions, you write them in your notebook. Like we did this every night for a year. It was a super connecting thing with this one son because he – he wanted to talk to me. And so rather than saying, what's the difference between boys and girls? Let's say, what's the difference between this child and this child? And how can I take this, this principle of connecting during the daily moments and apply it to this child or this child? It isn't about time. It isn't. It's about simple simplicity and consistency over time. You give each child the same three minutes, but what happens in those three minutes might be vastly different. So for what it's worth, that's what I feel about that. Yeah, and I love you. I love your uh, practical uh, case study example as well. And I totally agree with you. You know, my kids, the Rian, Ryan, Renzo, it's not as much about the boy gender as it's about treating Rianne with that individuality, the personalization, and uh, you know, like you said, being consistent, 
uh, with them and uh, that quality time and all of these, uh, you know, variables you're mentioning are definitely rock solid advice. So if, if our, our listeners and viewers, they want to get more support from you besides your, your blog and your email list and your book and your workbook, you do offer some coaching and consultation and support there. Tell us about all the ways that people can connect and uh, get help and um, support from you, Marianne. So obviously you can buy the book, which is worth reading. I, I get emails every day from people who have read it and it's uh, changed their lives. And you can get that anywhere, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, wherever you buy your books. Um, you can go to becomingapresentparent.com and get the free chapter. Uh, just download it. It will put you on a list. And with that list, you'll receive a weekly article. I publish an article every week on different aspects of connection. Um, and I give lots of examples. I think what most parents need is, well, what does that actually look like? You can always unsubscribe from that. If you go to the website, maryannjohnsoncoach.com, you can read all the articles. You can sign up there to get on the list to receive the articles in your mailbox. Um, you can actually contact me there. I get questions from parents, and I try to answer them either in a blog or sometimes personally, um, whatever my time will open. There's also a tab there for um, mentoring. I do offer mentoring, and there's a tab there. Um, you can go check that out. Those, that's going to be changing soon. Uh, I think it will be better, uh, more useful for parents. And so, you know, those are some ways to connect with me. And I, I love hearing from parents. I love hearing what's happening with them and what's working, what's not working. Um, it's fascinating to talk to parents. I just, I just wanted to commend you on the incredible work you're doing, you know, inspiring thousands of different parents around the world. So I'm, I'm so glad that we were able to connect, speak in connection, and I look forward to staying connected through the power of social media. So thank you, Marianne, for coming on to our podcast here today and sharing all your insights, wisdom, experience, and expertise with the audience. Thank you so much. It was really fun. You can find me on social media. I'm not there a ton, but I'm there. <laughs> and I'll have all those links below for Marianne's book, for her workbook, for your email list, for her coaching, for her social media, and much more. Uh, so thanks again, Marianne, and thanks everyone for tuning into this episode. And I look forward to hearing the results of implementing Mary and strategies. So thanks everyone, and we'll catch up with you guys in the next episode.